You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. I've always wanted to, in the middle of October, do something a little bit spookier. Um, Our scriptures are full of wild and supernatural stories, and so I thought this October would be the time to do it since we are just trying new things all around. And so we're going to do four weeks, spending four weeks doing um, this, uh, this, this series on monsters, looking at how the Bible really portrays the evil within us which I do believe in. It's, it's a theological point that I've taken away that any evil we see in the world is also present in our own hearts. We have the capability to do any of the evil that we see going on around us, that there is something fundamentally broken about humanity that we would point to maybe the Garden of Eden in the fall, but all of that resides within us. And so um, the Bible talks about this evil within us in lots of different ways. I'm going to do mine by looking at... Um, how the ancients thought about body parts. Because scripture talks about body parts quite a bit and almost in a way to be able to um, think about this evil that's within us while um, pointing to something in us, on us, and through us that is capable of of bad stuff, of capable of of, uh, not loving others well. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to send them. That's the phone number. It'll be at the bottom. If I don't see any, I'm going to skip it over at the end. So send them when you get them. Otherwise, I'll just skip it over at the end. But today we are going to talk about this biblical concept called flesh. Flesh. That's spooky enough, right? Think of zombies. I, I was like, do zombies eat flesh? And they're like, not really. It's brains. But um, it got me thinking about flesh and spooky stuff because I've been doing this. Does anybody else do this? Does anybody else neti pot? I love it, and I swear by it, and you may think I'm a total kook, but uh, I love neti potting, and I won't go into the gross and gory details, but you just run warm water through your whole deal, and stuff comes out, and it's amazing. Um, The reason I was thinking about it is because I started reading articles about how to do it well and how to make it work, and then then if you dive deep into neti potting at all... um, you'll learn that there is a brain-eating bacteria that is associated with it if you use tap water. Now, I don't want to freak you out, but tap water can have some bad bacteria in it, but your stomach acid, it's fine with it. But if it gets anywhere else, it can go badly for you. Um, And there are people who have died from this brain-eating bacteria uh, from using (laughs) tap water which is something that I was doing because I wanted to just do it in the shower that seemed like the most uh, likely place to do it. But then I scared myself. And so I went on a rabbit hunt, and it was like literally 30 people in the last 30 years have died from this in the United States, and I was like, those odds are pretty good. But I needed one more piece of information to give me comfort in doing this. I was like, 30 in 30 years, I'm not lucky enough to be that. You know what I mean? But then... I was like, what's the survival rate? That's what I wanted to know. What's the survival rate of a brain-eating bacteria? Not good. 97% mortality rate. You get it. You are going down. And so I was like, that was enough to convince me that I needed to use uh, distilled and filtered water. And I have been. I brought all that because that's probably why we're doing flesh this week. I've been thinking about things that consume flesh, eat flesh, flesh eating, and uh, uh, scared myself into doing extra work, uh, essentially, which is uh, not something that I would do 
uh, by itself. Naglaria fowleri. I'm just letting you know. Research it. It's not very prominent. Actually, they just, Aaron sent me a link. They just found it in the Houston water supply in Houston, and I was like, that's a big city, y'all. Anyways, flesh, flesh. What is, what's going on with this biblical concept of flesh? Well, let's talk about it. What is it first? Uh, the word in the Greek is sarks. We get our word sarcasm from this, or maybe like sarcoma, if you've heard of that. But sarcasm means a chasm. You know what that is. It means to tear flesh, right? That's what sarcasm is supposed to do. It's supposed to wound the person you're being sarcastic to. We get our word sarks, and that's what flesh is. And essentially in the Bible, I'm going to boil it way down. It's, it's much more complicated than this. But there's three uses of flesh in, in Scripture. One has to do when they use the phrase flesh and bone or flesh and blood. And we understand what that means. It doesn't mean someone is present with us. Like when Jesus was raised from the dead, Luke says he's there in flesh and blood. Or we mean it to mean family members, right? They're my flesh and blood. Uh, it also means just our skin and our body. And so when they use sarks, sometimes they're just referring to skin and body. And so sometimes it just means that and you have to figure it out. But ultimately when Paul uses it and the most time that St. Paul uses it, he means it something like this. The whole physical world. Everything you could touch, see, taste, smell. Sometimes he'll just call that flesh. And this is a part of that, right? And so when he talks about flesh, he's talking about that. Um, and he will say, uh, one scholar said you can sum up into humanity's value systems, which I really appreciate because um, there's ways in which we have certain economies and value systems. With that said, you know how I preach. Head, heart, hands, something for us to know, something for us to experience or feel, and something for us to do. And here's what I'm thinking about with flesh for the first day. What, what are we supposed to know in our heads about flesh? What I want you to know is that flesh isn't fully bad. There is a problem when we start thinking about flesh, when we contrast it to spirit, where we can try to make one more important than the other. And the Bible does not want to do that. That is more Greek than it is Hebrew, right? That is more uh, philosophy than it is Bible, and so what I need you to know right off the bat when we're talking about flesh is what I need you to know is that flesh isn't fully bad. I don't want you to leave here going, well, this is bad and heavenly spiritual stuff is good. Ultimately, because there's good fleshly things and there's bad spiritual stuff. And I don't want us leaving with this mindset. Uh, my, my biblical proof. Uh, then God said, let us make humanity in our image. God saw everything he had made and it was supremely good. I mean, before we get to like original sin, we need to focus on original glory, which is that God creates and that creation is good and that includes you and me and our flesh, right? Hebrews 2.14 says, Therefore, since children share in flesh and blood, Jesus also shared the same things in the same way. Flesh can't be automatically bad because Jesus came in the flesh and Jesus is good. And so I don't want you leaving thinking I'm going to, you know, I'm talking bad about this stuff. And I need to hammer that point home just a little bit more. This is one of my uh, favorite thinkers. He's a Catholic priest. His name is Richard Rohr. And he talks a lot about dualistic thinking because it's, it's a prominent feature of Western society. We think, of, we think in either ors. And so he really wants to push back up against either or type thinking. Here is Richard Rohr on, what, on this. So uh, you have to practice rewiring this. The normal way you and I are wired is 
dualistically, right? Uh, where you're presented with good or bad, gay or straight, black or white, good or, or false or true, and uh, male or female, and then you're supposed to choose one of those. <laughs> that's, the, that's why America's so angry today. Really, I'm not exaggerating that. When that's the only mind you have, and you have to make a false choice and make men better than women or women better than men, you know, you're never happy because it isn't true. It's never true. It's just, it's a false truth. And then you ensconce yourself in it and have to defend it and have to defeat the other side and show why they're terrible. That's the non-contemplative mind. I brought that up because I think we see that most prominently right now, right? In like politics, right? It's either or. Sorry, everybody. This is me. There's a one foot space I can stand without it going off. I don't know what monitors these are, but that's... that's Some of the stuff, I don't always agree with Richard Rohr, but what I, I do think is important is that we have inherited a way of thinking where it is either or, we, and instead of sometimes both and. Like, like I said, politically, I think this happens a lot, where we go either or, and then we have to fight, and we have to prove our side is right, right? And we do this all the time. We do this with religion, right? Um, I do this with Chico, right? I'm like, Orville's better, y'all. You know, like, like it's Chico or Orville. Those are the places. Or... Um, or us versus them, whatever it is, there's a way in which our brains, um, 49ers versus the Raiders, right? I like, I have to tell people who are Raiders fans that like, they've made a poor life decision. Um, but there's a way in which sometimes we can get stuck in this, in this dualistic thinking. And I think that happens sometimes when we, when we become religious folks and we become uh, part of the faith and uh, we're trying to tap into the spiritual realm and we read passages about flesh and we think, well, this must be bad and that must be good and I got to work with this so that I can hold on to that and, th and the Bible doesn't portray things that neatly. And so I would re really love you to love your body, to love your flesh, uh, to love the way that God created you and then let God redeem it the way that God wants to. We can... Get into a mindset where flesh is bad and spirit is good, and the Bible largely doesn't allow for this. Though sometimes you can read some passages that does sound like this. Flesh can't be fully bad because God creates it and Jesus takes it on. So what's the problem? Why, James, you told us there's a problem with flesh, and then you just spent like five minutes telling us not to worry about it. But I think there are some things that are concerning that we should uh, worry about. And so let's talk about that. In our heart, what's going on? What does Jesus want us to experience? That devotion to the flesh is death. Devotion to the, to the flesh is death. This is where we get in, in trouble. This is where we get our problems. Romans 8, 6 says, To set the mind on the flesh is death. And really, we can set our mind on the flesh in two different ways. One of them is just to give in to our, our, our body and whatever our body wants to do. Just eat whatever we want, you know, consume whatever we want. Uh, whatever, drugs, alcohol, people, however we use those things, and just give into that as much as we want, and that's a way in which we can set our mind on the flesh. And then there's another way, and that's where we think if we can control our bodies, then we will experience some salvation, right? If we get legalistic about what we could do with our bodies and our flesh, then we can uh, experience what God has for us. And ultimately, both of those options, legalism and the big word is licentiousness, right? Like just total doing whatever we want with our bodies. Both of those options are setting our minds on the flesh. 
And it really is not the path forward that Jesus has for us. To set our mind on the flesh is death. And the only example I could come up with is I've been reading a lot about uh, wingsuits. Have you seen these things? It's like amazing. And part of me is like, that'd be so cool. And then I read about like all of these guys are dying. Like all, like, and, and the reason is, there's a lots of reasons. One of them is, is they have to experience that thrill, which means they have to get closer and closer to like dangerous things to experience the thrill of it that like when they first experienced it. The other one I read was, oh, I went skydiving. So like, I love it. This is a picture of me. You can't tell. It's totally Photoshopped. Just kidding. This is in paradise when I turned 18. So I get it. It was really amazing. I wasn't wingsuiting. But one of the other problems they said was that the wingsuits are just too good. And people, like, they're, they're like proper fighter jets was one of the quotes I read. And people don't know how to, like, control them. It gives them a false sense of control. They fly too close to stuff, and they get themselves in a lot of trouble. They've devoted themselves to this thrill, to experiencing the exhilaration of this thing. And it just ends in death for so many people at such a young age. I mean, professionals. This is what I'm so devoted to the thrill that it, it, it ends their life prematurely. And this is a very small way of me to try to conceptualize what it means to set our mind on the flesh, to be devoted to the stuff that we could taste, see, touch, smell, as if that is the realest reality, the things that we can see, touch, taste, see, smell. I said see twice. Uh, as if that's the realest thing when there's this whole other reality beyond the senses. And if we devote our life to it, if we invest completely into this thing, then that is what ultimately leads to death. What does it mean to be devoted to flesh? I think I just said that. It's about identity and investment. Where are you putting your identity and what are you investing in? And if it's only in the stuff you can touch, then that is ultimately the path that leads to death. Long passage. I'll try to go quickly and summarize some. This passage is being read all over the world today. Philippians 3. Uh, here's what Paul says. If anyone has reason to put their confidence in the flesh, in the sarks, right? I have even more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm from the people of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews with respect to observing the law. I am a Pharisee with respect to devotion to the faith. I harassed the church. I, I was zealous for my faith and harassed the church. With respect to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. These things were my assets, but I wrote them off as loss for the sake of Christ. But even beyond that, I consider everything a loss in comparison with the superior value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Summing it up, he says, if anyone could boast in the flesh stuff, it's him. And he wouldn't say that stuff's bad, right? He wouldn't say being in, from Israel is bad. I wouldn't want to say flesh is bad. But he said, if I put all of my identity in that, if I put all of my investment into that, that would lead to death. All of my identity and all of my investment needs to be in Christ. Needs to be in Jesus. In fact, every other identity and every other investment needs to come under Jesus. I consider everything else a loss. We get it, right? So I don't want you to think the flesh and the body is bad. It is good. God made it. But it does have the ability to try to pull us in a completely flesh direction where we think this is the only thing that exists. This is the only reality is the stuff that we could touch, see, taste, and smell. 
There's another one, isn't there? Here. I keep saying, I'm like, there's others, aren't there? You know, the classic four senses. Um, <laughs> if, if, if that's what we are investing in, then that is going to lead to death. But if we can find a, a greater identity and a greater investment, and as Christians, we think that's Jesus, then we get to have both. Paul has the best opportunity to identify with his flesh and invest in it as a way to the good life, but only Jesus matters to him. All other identities must take a backseat to Jesus. Otherwise, we have set our mind on the flesh, which leads to death. And what are those identities for us? I mean, I named some earlier. Nationality, right? Maybe sometimes race. Sometimes maybe even religion in a way, right? What, what, what traditions we belong to. Um, money, education. All of these things are not bad in and of themselves, but when they become primary identities for us to then weigh and judge others against, that is the way of death, he says. How do we beat the monster that is our own flesh, that desires for us to only see the stuff that we can see? Paul wants us to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, we get the best of both worlds, he says, of flesh and spirit. He says, I got a couple verses for us. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in my flesh, I live by faith. Indeed, by the faithfulness of God's son who loved me and gave himself for me. So he had to crucify the idea that this is the only reality. He had to crucify the identities. He had to deny himself, right? Say no to himself, take up his cross and learn to follow Jesus in a way that, that pushes away uh, this, this paradigm, this reality that this is the only reality. And once he begins living his life in Christ and Christ begins to live in him, then he gets both. The life that he now lives in the flesh and by faith, uh, and by faithfulness of Jesus, by God's son, uh, who loved him and gave himself for him. He gets, he gets to have both of these, right? Uh, Romans 8, 5 through 9, a little bit longer, last, uh, last passage for us. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace, right? He wants us to learn to walk in the Spirit, and you get to have life and peace in this life and life to come. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit since the spirit of God dwells in you. I had to bring that all up because I want to say, how do, we, how do we live in the spirit? It's a big question. I don't have um, super practical ways to tell you to do that. But I put down four things that I think would be necessary to start to consider walking in the spirit. To, to start denying that this is the only reality and start walking in the spirit in such a way that we recognize both and let Jesus do a profound work in us. One, reject dualistic thinking, especially when it comes to spirit versus flesh. I, I, again, can't stress that enough. I don't want you walking away thinking that your body is bad and spirit is good or, or this world is bad and heaven is good and we just kind of need to hold on. And really, Jesus is doing a profound work that redeems and restores and recreates. And so um, we're not one of these people that are just holding on out for the Spirit's part of our faith, but really working with Jesus to redeem both. Number two, acknowledge that investing our identities in worldly, fleshly things is a hopeless path. And I think this is where most of us are going to get tripped up because when things get hard, 
we look to the people around us who seem successful and we just try to emulate them. And a lot of times it's just like, how do I make sure that I stay safe, sound, uh, I have a good future for us. And a lot of times it's investing in these identities that are something other than Jesus. Again, I cannot stress enough. We are like 30, 29 days from an election and people are hot, right? Matter in a hornet's nest. And there's just a way in which the world is telling us we need to invest in these identities if we're going to save the world or save the universe. And at the end of the day, that stuff is very important, but it cannot be our primary identity. Otherwise, you are going to lose a lot of relationships over something that Jesus has not asked us to lose relationships over. Number three, accept that God's Holy Spirit already dwells in you as a follower of Jesus. This is a reality that is already present in your life. And so I'm like part of walking in the Spirit is already believing that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. I'm going to go back to the verse, right? You are in the Spirit since the Spirit of God dwells in you. That is true for anyone who has made a decision to follow Jesus. And so that is a reality that I would love for us to acknowledge and accept. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. That God dwells in you. That means something. And so you are already a hundred miles down the road of walking in the Spirit because the Spirit is already in you. And so now it becomes a matter of cooperation with what God is already doing in you. Lastly, I would love for you to cultivate an identity and a practice of being rooted in Christ. I mean, every decision, especially major decisions about your identity, about who you are, about the things you're passionate about, I would love for us to subject those to Jesus. Which means that you have to know Jesus' story really well, which means you've got to read Scripture and be in prayer, and this is where it gets hard. But I would love for you to cultivate an identity and a practice of being rooted in Christ. Keeping your eyes on Him, this is what I, if I could boil down walking in the Spirit, keeping your eyes on Jesus and trusting that Jesus has His eyes on you. That's as simple and difficult as I can make it for us. Let's wrap this up, head into a time of communion. With our head, I think God wants us to reject dualistic thinking that tells us that your body flesh is bad or that your body and flesh is the only reality that matters. And specifically with that legalism versus licentiousness, right? Like sometimes we think, well, we'd better just give in to it, give in to the, the passions that our body has, the desires that our body has. If we just give in to it, right? Maybe we, I, I do this all the time with soda. I'm like, maybe if I just drink enough soda, my body will be like, we don't need any more. It never does that, y'all. I'll be sitting there drinking soda and be like, I do not enjoy this. And about five minutes later, it's like, that stuff was pretty good, though. You know what I mean? Like, um, I'm off it. I quit cold turkey on October 1st, three days ago. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a way in which we're like, if we just give into it, there was whole philosophies of this, of like, let's just give into everything our body wants to do, and maybe it'll go away. Holy, I'm walking in the spirit up here, y'all. Um, but then the other side is, is maybe if I can control it, that will help God love me more or get me to heaven or something. And both of those have their minds set on the flesh. And Jesus wants us to set our mind on something else outside of us, namely the spirit. With our heart, he wants us to reject the temptation to put your identity in flesh alone. And so we need to... Um, not be devoted to the things of the flesh. Make sure we're prioritizing our identity in Jesus. And lastly, cultivate an identity rooted in Jesus and practice a walking in the Spirit. This is not something that you're going to be an expert at tomorrow. 
but maybe a few years down the road, you'll have a better grasp of what it means to walk in the Spirit, trusting that right now, at this very moment, as a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells and lives in with you. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for this word. May you be glorified and lifted up as we chew and ruminate on what you have for us, as we think about our flesh, maybe in a new way, maybe in a unique way, uh, maybe for the first time. Would you help us to get a handle on this thing that desperately wants all of our attention? It isn't bad, but when it takes all of our attention and all of our identity, it leads to death. So help us, help us to get a grasp on this. And Father, now as we come to the table, as we come to your cup and your word and your presence, would you be with us? Would you meet us here as we come in expectation? We will give you praise and thanks because you promised to meet us here. We cannot wait. Church, would you pray with me now the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins.